Welcome to Market Proof Marketing, the podcast from the Marketing Minds at doyouconvert.com, where we talk about the current state of all things digital and how they impact home builders and developers around the globe. We're not here to sell you, we're here to help you and to try and elevate the conversation. I'm Kevin Oakley, and with me today on episode 188 is Julie Jarnigan and Samantha Matlock. Hi. Hi. All right. Uh, I think we already recorded a podcast this year. This feels like um, mm. we're six months in to me already. <laughs> I think so. I think this is number two this year, right? Yeah. So what, <laughs> I, what the, the, the theme, I'm not sure what the theme of the last one was, but the theme of this one is positivity, excitement. Everything is just, it's, <laughs> I, I feel like, I feel like maybe it just me. I, I kind of like limped into 2022. Like, thank goodness 21 was over in some respects. Sure. And just so many things going on with moving and family members in the hospital and all kinds of stuff. But it just hit me the other day, like, no, like this is going to be a great year. I'm excited about it. So that's my, I like it. I'm all for it. Word of the week, positivity. So with that, let's dive right into story time. And uh, Samantha, I'll let you go first. You got, you got two. We do want to hear a house update before you get into your actual story. So house update, we close on February 10th. So oh, super wow. excited. Remind everyone when you signed on the house. Uh, we signed in November. Yeah, Man. November. So we bought in the first phase. We're going to be like the second people to close in the whole neighborhood. So it's going to be a little interesting being the first. <laughs> I've, been, I've been the first before. It is interesting being the first people actually living in the neighborhood. It's a weird feeling. Yeah. I love yeah, it. The longer that I can hear the sounds of construction, the more I feel like I don't want to move. Every neighborhood I've ever lived in, as soon as the construction <laughs> is either done or it's so far off in the distance, it feels like it's somewhere else. I'm, I kind of get anxious. I'm like, well, it's time to move again. Oh. <laughs> it's comforting for you. Yeah. Not the mud or the construction, <laughs> you know, traffic, but just the feeling of like, it's like being at an airport. Like a lot of people hate airports. I love them. That's like the just- energy. Just Samantha, make sure it looks like somebody lives there because we had people come looking in our windows thinking no, because all the other houses were empty and for sale. Um, So I saw somebody peeking in the window by my front door and they thought it was a house for sale. So put put some extra welcome mats and wreaths (laughs) and whatever to make it look like you live there. On on an emotional (laughs) excitement level, one to 10, where are you about this house? I mean, this is our first house, so we're super excited. I'm not looking forward to moving, but I'm looking forward to it to being like our last move for a while, for a very long time, hopefully. So um, yeah, we're we're stoked about it. And when you talk to anyone else, are they as surprised as I am when you say how fast you're moving in? Like, does it seem fast to you or, or to uh, other people when you talk about it? It's a little fast. I mean, yeah, we just tore the models just opened last weekend. So we went and checked out the model, but yeah, so it's a little fast. It, I did never thought I'd buy a house without touring it first. Despite, like I just never was one of those people, but I think I've both me and Derek have been in the industry. So we're familiar with mm-hmm. walking frame walks and yeah. <laughs> all that stuff. And the before not being able to really see it, but visualize it. So it's been interesting, but it's been fun. It's fast enough that I don't think you could order. If you ordered furniture, when you signed the contract, I don't think it would have <laughs> arrived yet. 
yeah, no, I will have to get a refrigerator and washer and dryer. So I'm a little nervous about those, but we'll, we'll make it work. I think that's just another interesting, a lot of builders have shifted to only selling inventory or only selling as the home gets further down in the process. And like, we already knew that the, that one of the benefits was a shorter waiting period for the customer, but this is the first time, like firsthand up front, I'm, I'm seeing it from someone I, I interact with regularly. So I think it's another plus uh, in the, in the Ben Franklin close of should we, or shouldn't we is um, like, I asked you the excitement level. Is there any sadness that you didn't get to pick, you know, the, your favorite countertop color of all time? Uh, no, I'm pretty, I'm happy with the package. It's probably a package I would have picked anyways. So that's good. Um, the only thing is, um, I won't have doors on my office. I probably would have added the, the French doors to that if I uh-huh. could have had the option to, but uh-huh. we don't have kids or anything. I just have a dog, so I'm not too worried about the noise, but Wait, eventually you, we'll probably... You can talk to Becca on our team, by the way, about how feasibly it actually keeps pets out, I, I, or else she has the <laughs> smartest cats known to man kind who just pounce her, even if she, she locks her doors to her office and the cat still gets in somehow, so... <laughs> Yeah, they pop up a lot on calls. Okay, so that that's Samantha's house update. Talk to us about your story time. Yeah, so I've been working with this builder and um, they've had a struggling 55 plus community since July. Just hasn't been making their sales goals, haven't been able to get the traffic out there, get the word out. So um, we've kind of resorted to some old school marketing methods and sent out a uh, mailer to... Um, several neighborhoods um, over a period of time now. I think this is the third mailer that we've sent to this neighborhood. And we decided to throw a call rail tracking number on it this time, just so we could track how this mailer is performing. And since um, the last mailer went out the last week of uh, the year, and since then they've had 17 calls from this mailer. So that's uh, phenomenal from what we've sent out. (laughs) I love it. I love, I love how I, I feel like that's half of my superpower is, is the ability to like l- lean back the other way from whatever the trend is. And we're going to talk about trends here in a minute too, but like no one, when's the last time you've heard anyone talk about direct mail? It's Much. always been a no, my whole, my whole <laughs> marketing <laughs> career in, in home building. It's don't do mailers. Yeah. So this was a first for me. To be clear, this is not a commercial for everyone listening to go start <laughs> up a new mail campaign. However, the, I think in the last two quarters, I've probably brought up direct mail as a conversation with three or four of our builders, two of which were on your lot scenarios. But it's it's not a not do, and in a lot of ways, social media ads in particular uh, are just the newest, latest form of direct mail in terms of the ability to target uh, and and really zero in on a particular audience. And so, the other benefit of a fifty-five plus community is that those folks are going to read everything you send them and mail you a copy of it back with the with the missing period <laughs> or the yeah. whatever it is. I don't think I've told this story in three years, by the way, about the best direct mail piece I've ever sent in terms of response rate. Samantha, you probably haven't heard this story, Um, but I, I, it's a cephaloleptic x-ray. I forget. It's a side profile of your skull. And I bought this stock image of a side profile of a skull 
I superimposed in Photoshop a house that looked like it was the same color. And then I circled it with a wax crayon and, and scanned it in. And I, and I had a doctor's note and it was basically like, this seems to be the problem. You've got house on your brain. And then we got, <laughs> and this was 2007, 2008. Um, no, no, no. This is even earlier than that. 2003, 2004 in the height of direct mail in a manila envelope, sent it in with prescription doctor's note, all this stuff. It, it try to make it look as official, but it's obviously like you've got a house inside your skull. And, um, when it hit back then, all the salespeople had to disconnect their phone lines in their model homes because so many people were calling. I was 23 back then. So to be completely transparent, about 15% of those calls were people who were not happy to be receiving some type of update about medical anything because they were expecting medical information. We had one lady who thought she had brain cancer in the shape of a house, uh, who called, but man, that one, I don't think I've told that story in, in the last two and a half years on the podcast anyway. So for those of you who are newer, you just, you heard one of my favorite stories ever, but, um, it, it, it helped me understand the power of direct mail in terms of that it is, it is looked at. And if you do it well, you can get a good response. Yeah. I was going to ask the same thing. I wondered if they got any strange calls because when we used to do direct mail back at Idle Homes, there would always be a call or two that would just be wacky, <laughs> you know, for whatever reason, you know, um, you, you address this to my husband and my husband has died and then it's mm-hmm. a long conversation though. So it's always, um, it's always interesting what you get. <laughs> I haven't heard any, any weird stories yet, but I'll let you guys know. <laughs> I, be, I, I bet, I bet they just haven't shared them with you, but if you ask, I bet they'll, they'll be a I'll go with yeah. some on call route. <laughs> <laughs> Actually. Yes, please do <laughs> report back. <laughs> yeah. Julie, how about you? Uh, yeah, we've seen an uptick in the phishing scams since, I guess, after Christmas, we've seen a few. So I had um, one of the builders I work with, they had sent, they're getting smarter and they're getting sneakier in how they do it. So one of them was a Facebook message they got through Messenger. So Facebook won't message you through Messenger. So that's one sign not to fall for it that they had had some kind of violation. She clicked on the link. They got into her account and made a fake random crazy ad on there and just started charging things to her account. So Facebook's, you know, working with them and getting rid of it, but it was a little bit of a a stressful time to keep to turn it off and they were trying to kick us out. So that one, and then we saw another one that was an email to one of our builder that they gotten a few times. That was another thing. Like you had something reported. It's a violation. We're getting to disable your account. So they're very specific on things that we don't like to hear in an email. So just if in question, do not click on a link, go directly into your account, go log in and look and see if you see any violations or anything before you do anything. Of course, if you work with us, just send us a screenshot and we'll tell you, no, that doesn't look right. Um, but yeah, otherwise go directly to the source and don't click anything because they're getting smarter and sneakier and it looks real um, when you see it, but you know, they're yeah. just trying the, to get you to click. Two main things to reemphasize. The first one is like Julie said, do not click on anything they send you. Just log into your account as you normally would from a different tab or browser. And you should see a similar notification in your account. That's where they're going to, they're going to be able to communicate with you. They're not going to try to use an email or something else as the only way of trying to get a hold of you. 
the second thing is always check the actual from email address, not just the name that it says. The third is make sure you have two-factor authentication on. Um, we've never had a, a builder in this situation, but it, it did happen to some people last year that we don't work with, that, but we heard about it, is uh, people getting access to the actual page itself. So not just the ad account to, to make fake ads, which again, when Facebook is able to identify an ad that's clearly not related to your organization, running from a, another country somewhere far away that you typically don't run ads targeting for or that kind of thing, they're very good about giving you um, all, all the credit back and, and putting, putting things back as they were. But you want to make sure you have two-factor authentication on because if they get access to your page itself, then that's where you know you, you, we've heard now these hostage scenario stories where they're like, if you don't pay us, we'll post negative things about you on your own page yeah. kind of thing. So that's also the final thing there is why you should own all of your own accounts. And every builder that we work with owns all of their own accounts. They give us access to those accounts to help them uh, as we work on things with them, but they own them. Uh, the, it's, it's one thing to have this situation happen because you get fooled by a phishing scam and you click on a link, but for someone at an ad agency to click on a link and then cause this is a whole nother layer of, of not fun. That's a good point. One of my other builders said, oh yeah, I'm going to send this to all of my team because you may not click on the link, but you have to think what, what of your team members are in there as well that might click on things or maybe getting emails. Yes. So it's a and, good time to remind people. And those team members do not need to have, you want to have two people on your account that you trust the most to have access to users. And usually that's at the highest level of, of admin, et cetera. Everyone else who's working on the account usually can be at a manager level or below, which gives them access to everything except for credit card information and users. And that's where the majority of your team should be living anyway. I said positive, Julie. Positive. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> now, it is, it is positive, positive because this, is, this doesn't have to be something you're overly concerned about as long as you just get a couple of these basic things, like I said, in place. And two-factor authentication, you know, where they have to text you a message on your phone in addition to filling out a, uh, a, a passcode is the way to go. Yep. I, no, I, I'm not trying to log in from Kazakhstan <laughs> right now. Right? Do, do not approve. <laughs> All right. I got two, two things and then a quick house update. The first one is I was on a call today with, uh, I didn't uh, think to get full approval yet, but I was on a call with a, a brilliant gentleman whose first name is Justin. He will know who he is um, if you're listening. But he was referencing the difference between um, playing jazz music and classical music as an analogy, which you all know I love, um, towards how marketing and online sales, working with Do You Convert and kind of our, our philosophy is, Classical music, when you perform it, and I'm not a musician, so I'm, I'm believing him because he's a very believable person. Classical music, you play the music exactly as it was written. There is no deviation. If you decide to change, you know, um, box uh, sonata number four, whatever, to, to play an extra note or two, the people who know classical music are like, that is not what I signed up for. I, I signed up for the exact song as it was written. So overly rigid no variation, no improvisation allowed, right? You just perform the music exactly as it was designed to be played. Whereas jazz allows for improvisation and actually encourages it and celebrates it when it's done in moderation at the right place. But, but his, to me, the most key point that he shared 
which I think is relevant for everyone is there's still a big difference between jazz and giving a bunch of fourth graders an instrument for the first time and saying, go ahead and improvise. So there mm-hmm. is this uh, level of ability and training that you have to go through to play jazz. You can't just pick it up and riff on the saxophone. You've got to understand the base level and, and even some advanced level things before you earn the right to iterate or go Im- improv. And even then, you're going to limit the amount of improvisation equal to your amount of mastery. And I thought that was just a really good analogy of why some people transition from another industry to ours or get involved with a builder and they just want to start riffing immediately or I don't understand why this seems this seems like there's too many limits and why doesn't everyone just do it this way um, or, or want to just start over from scratch. Anyway, just I just thought it was a really, really uh, good analogy of making sure you've got the big, the basics and the advanced stuff down before you start trying to, to change too much. The other one, um, is I, I'm going to be speaking at the builder 100 conference in May, uh, again, which will be a ton of fun. And one of the things we're going to be talking about is data, it's collection, it's analysis and how that gets applied to improving customer experience and, um, creating decision-making tools, engines, processes, Um, we'll have a link in the show notes to that event, um, as well for you. But one of the things I was talking with the panel that I'll be moderating some of the panelists was that we don't really know what this stuff even means when we're talking about customer experience. And then today, Krista Mott, um, who's been in the market proof Academy and, and so I've gotten to get to know her better over the years. She posted on LinkedIn. She said, has, has UX, the user experience, been compromised by trends? Are we really paying attention to our target audience? Does the experience match the customer expectation? And so I'm framing this as customer experiences versus growth hacking or growth marketing, um, where you just do whatever makes the metrics and the numbers look better uh, and, and attempt to drive things up as fast as possible. And so she shared um, a post from Twitter all right, a guy named Andy Budd, and he says, a typical website visit in 2022, figure out how to decline all but essential cookies, close the support widget asking if I need help, stop the autoplaying video, close the subscribe to our newsletter pop-up, and then finally, try and remember why I came here in the first place. <laughs> so true. <laughs> <laughs> it is so true. And, but, but yet, why does all that stuff show up on the page? Is because someone in marketing or operations or sales said... Well, but we could get you know, two more leads a day if we turn on this extra thing. And, and even, even the builders we work with and have, have worked with for a long time, it's hard to have those conversations where the marketer doesn't see any problem with you know, the online salesperson's face and contact information in the top right. And then you've got a pop-up chat widget. And then you've got uh, this other... Um, who knows? There, there's. I'm like, why are there three things popping up at me when I first log into this screen? Let alone the accept or decline cookies, which is too yeah. Many easy and we jokes were there. we were just talking about your kid on Snapchat. You said they already have it, so it's hard to take it away. Mm-hmm. It can be sometimes the same thing with builders. You know, once they have chat, then if we tell them maybe chat's not the right time for you to have chat right now, it's hard for them then to take it away because, uh, you know, um, online sell specialists or whoever get worried they're losing leads. Yeah. So yeah. It- <laughs> we were, we were having a conversation with mm-hmm. someone not too long ago at do you convert and 
uh, I was not part of it, but they were, they were hiring someone else. And the company had several hundred thousand leads that they had gotten last year. And the comment from, from us was, we're not really sure. Like, why do you have that many leads? You don't, you don't need, you need a fraction of that, that leads. And the response back was, well, you know, marketers and their leads, they love leads. Um, and so, yeah, if you're taking some of those <laughs> things away that are getting you those metrics on your dashboard that you love, but, um, we just ha have to keep clarity. Like, why, why are we doing this? And do we really believe in, uh, the customer experience? Or are we just saying it because it seems to be something to talk about, which by the way, the more conversations you hear generally talking about customer experience, and uh, this is from your old boss, Steve Shoemaker, uh, we both agree on this point. It's kind of a symbol that we are at the top of the market. Because uh, at the Pacific Coast Builders Conference 2006, everything was all about customer experience and how we make that better. Mm, you go back yeah. to the same conference in 2008, no one's talking about customer experience. They're <laughs> just talking about how do we survive? How do we cut costs? How do yep. we give the, the most bare bones home to people that they can afford and want? So it's, it's interesting how that kind of pivots with how well builders are doing generally. Yep. And then update on the house, I really do love my builder. So I had a call with someone one of our other builders and they're like, yeah, I heard on the podcast and like you, are you able to separate yourself from you and what you know to you as a customer? I was like, I, I, I can a thousand percent. My wife has a harder time of it and she'll tell you that it's terrible that I can do that. But our house is amazing. Uh, there are, I have, I have no complaints. Uh, there's people here almost every day getting things done. And again, just going through the building process during the pandemic I was talking to a prospect of the same builder today and they said, they were asking questions about what was the experience like and would you recommend them? And absolutely I would. And I just said, you know, with all of the shortages of labor and materials, there was someone at our house working almost every day, which is even in the production world is kind of unheard of. Um, at least every production builder I've been involved with, it was still uncommon to get questions from customers like, why hasn't anyone been to my house in three days? Someone was here every day. They did their best to get us in. And um, I'm really excited, obviously, to get the studio space um, finished out so that we can do even more videos and and have more fun. But we're in. Uh, everything is is functional and new construction. Like there, I, I would build again tomorrow. I'm not phased or disheartened by any of the any of this process. It's it's all kind of to be expected. And the last part of that is because we built custom, especially. So this person I was talking to, I said, Hey, have you ever built a house before? Um, so I have like references as, as when we're talking like, Oh yeah, I built a home with, with MI, um, which is a production builder here in Columbus. Great, great builder. Shout out to Will and, and Carly and everyone else at the team there, but it's a production builder. And I said, okay, well, you know, there, you're going to make all your selections up front. Everything's in a nice package. And then you watch the house being built and there's still bumps along the road. Custom, you're going to make some selections. You're going to wait. You're going to make more selections, and there's going to be more bumps along the road because it's it's custom. It just by definition, when you only build a house once, it's going to be a little more, a little more effort, a little more energy that, that you as a customer have to put into it. So, just wanted to clarify: we love our house, we love our builder. Yeah. Love all I'm a little jealous. Everybody's moving into a new house, and. I mean, we love our house, but I want a new house. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, we'll talk more about that in, in the news. So um, switching over to the news. Andrew, if you're listening, I need you to create a new sound effect because I know you're ready for the typewriter to die. So 
So just, <laughs> just send me a t- some, something else. Uh, first up, the Builder Show obviously is happening. Uh, it, it is going to happen one way or the other. Uh, there is, uh, we are starting to hear some rumblings of how many people are going to be attending is, is not necessarily um, a slam dunk that it's going to be as, as busy as it ever was. Um, but we will be there. And we'll be excited to see people who are there. And honestly, if the traffic's not as bad and you can get uh, to dinner and, and complete the dinner, unless I mean, I've been in Florida right. in particular is the worst. Orlando is the worst. I've been to dinners there that last four hours because you just can't get your mm-hmm. food and service. So a whole bunch of you can stay home. That's that's okay with me. <laughs> but um, uh, we put up a blog post on the site, link in the show notes to all the different sessions that we are doing. Mike, Jen, myself, and Julie will all have actual sessions at the show. Andrew will be there as well because he lives like an hour and a half away. So he'll, he'll be over and, and hanging out. We'll be recording a podcast. And there's a bunch of other unofficial things or um, like I'll be speaking at a couple different booths on the floor at different times. We've got another event that I'm recording with NHB at 530. I guess it's for the people who aren't attending because it's a, it's a live webinar recording oh. at 5.30 in the evening. I don't so there will be other things that, that we'll see added there. And I am working diligently on a pancake breakfast facility. I've reached out to a couple and waiting to hear back more information. Just want to make sure everyone, again, can get their food, uh, have a good time. The pancakes will all be free. Uh, pancakes are on, are on the Oakleys. So for those of you who are coming and are a builder... Um, feel free to check out the details around that and show up to get some pancakes and talk marketing with other builders. All right. First up from other places from builder online, Texas and Florida lead U-Haul's top growth states for 2021. So these are where most people are taking their moving trucks to. And there was some surprise that Raleigh wasn't, well, North Carolina typically has been another hot, hot market, but, um, Texas and Florida. I think Raleigh was number two on the actual list. Okay. Well, there you go. Two states also account for 60% of the top 25 growth cities for 2021. So the, the states as a whole, not any one market, 60% of the top 25 were in those two states. Yeah. It was fun to see uh, Madison, Wisconsin on the list. I didn't expect to see that among all the... the- well, that's a great place. If you, I mean, it's not... I, I was not excited when I was going to be traveling there the, for the first time, but it's it's a beautiful setting, at least when it's not winter. I would not want to go there in the winter, I don't think. But Yeah, yeah, really we pretty. have, <laughs> I talked to a builder from there and I think they were still hovering down around zero degrees when we talked, so. Mm-hmm. California ranks last among U-Haul growth states, but it does feature two of the top growth cities, Sacramento and San Diego. Interesting. I also heard a stat this morning on the news that 80% of the new hires in the last like six to 12 months in for Silicon Valley companies are people who live and work remotely 80% not in the Northern mm-hmm. California or at least not in the Silicon Valley um, area. So that's definitely another sense. continued trend. No one yep. can afford homes there. That's why we all <laughs> left. That's why I left. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I think Denver was number 21 on the list of most growth. And that's okay by you, right? You're like, I just moved here. Please don't make it unaffordable. (laughs) 
stay away. Yeah, I mean, I bought a house, so I'm okay now, but <laughs> <laughs> knock on wood, we still got a clip. <laughs> uh, next up from adweek.com, Snapchat kicks off the new year with four new messaging features, chat replies, Bitmoji reactions, polls, and a revamped audio and video calling interface. So um, yes, I have a Snapchat account. No, I don't use it very often except for filters with the kids. But I thought it's just interesting. You can't count Snapchat out. Um, it still does have... Uh, you can you can kind of count it out for now from an advertising perspective, but from something that is a marketer, you can't completely disconnect yourself from just like TikTok or whatever else you might think is is below you as a sophisticated marketer um, because they are continuing to innovate and and change. And it's something that from a from a messaging standpoint, Snapchat is still used heavily by uh, certain demographic uh, groups, obviously those skewing a little bit younger, but remember those young people get older and then they buy houses. That's kind of the same way with TikTok is uh, if you have the ability and the time and the patience, then yes, you can reach an audience there that will be an, uh, buyers of yours in the future. The most interesting one, um, because I've watched my kids do it, is the group calls. Um, you know, you get invited to a group call, but you don't necessarily always know who's in that group call. And so that's one of the things that they're adding is you can now get more information, not just of who started the call, but who is already there because you don't want to be the awkward one. So this might be TMI, right? But my, my seventh grade daughter is not allowed to date boys or to FaceTime boys one-on-one. That's how old school we are. I told you, I've said before, we're basically Amish. And so, but she can be in group conversations with boys and girls. So she gets caught every once in a while because someone will start a conversation and she thinks that all of her friends are in there. And it's just this one guy who's trying to mm. like break the rules so they can hang out. So now in Snapchat, <laughs> which she does not have, or my seventh grader does not have Snapchat. My, my freshman does. And yeah, like I was saying earlier, wish we could undo that, but she's, if anyone's going to have Snapchat, she should, she's, she's the most uh, trustworthy and, and smart of the bunch. Yeah. Someday smarter than me, Avery. Sorry to admit it. Yeah. We're, we're still just in Roblox and those things. So I'm <laughs> putting it yep. off. Minecraft and Roblox is still our world with our kids. We'll get yeah, there. I think it must have it must have fallen off. The other thing, kind of with the Snapchat update, was that Instagram um, also is updating their uh, their kind of home screen for 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 lack of a better term. They're going to have two. So Instagram is adding two new feeds to the app and updating the existing home feed with more content from accounts you don't already follow. And essentially. You can go read the article for the details, but essentially what um, Zuck and company at Meta have decided is the For You page on TikTok is something they can't ignore and can't keep losing to. Mm. You get on Instagram and you get on Facebook, at least to begin with, to see what's going on with the people you know. That is not what how TikTok got started or, or gained fame. It was, I'm just turning it on and I'm seeing something interesting and I'm swiping and seeing something else interesting and swiping and seeing something else interesting. And so they want to create an experience like that and in Instagram as kind of the default place you start to try to tap into some of that TikTok magic. And they're going to give you other feed options to kind of preserve what's there and potentially allow you to make it chronological where the, so, so it's kind of like um, two, two and a half, three different feeds that have different layers of artificial intelligence deciding what you're seeing with the chronological being it's just as people that you know are posting and the other where it's just seeing lots of more randomness and, and going off the TikTok method. 
They're trying to ease us into it. Yeah, I don't know if that works. I think I think they're just going to, I mean, updating the homepage to be that, I don't know if I'd call that easing as much as like, yeah. we're going to, we're going to smack you with it and see yeah. if, see if they can pull off what they did with stories and, and kind of take TikTok's best feature and put it into a wider network that they have in Instagram. Sure. Two more to go. Next up from the Atlantic, uh, stop fetishizing old homes. Whatever your aesthetic preference, new construction is better on nearly every conceivable measure. Now, the main caveat that it's not, unfortunately, is price. So I th if price is not part of the equation, new every and every other way is probably going to be better. Uh, but I thought it was just an interest. It was a, it was one, it was well-written piece um, in the Atlantic. And the main point that I thought was basically, yes, if you're talking about historic, you know, um, What's the, what's the, the Vanderbilt home? Biltmore. The Biltmore. Biltmore. <laughs> yeah, the Biltmore. The Biltmore. Hey, if you're talking about the Biltmore estate, of course, that, that is something that can, that can be romantically viewed as like, oh man, they don't build homes like that. Well, they didn't build homes like that then really either. That was, you know, a one of a kind. And the point is that, you know, if you, if you live in a row home that was built in the thirties, forties, fifties, that was never designed to be. Uh, where the high-end hipsters resided. It was designed to be housing that was affordable and and in a lot of ways, temporary. Like we look at what, I remember when China built that hospital in like five days when COVID first hit. Mm -hmm. That hospital's gone now. It doesn't exist anymore. They tore it down because it was over. But that, that like it, it was that kind of post-war housing for the masses. Yeah. And now we're saying, oh, but they don't build them like they used to. Well, they, they, didn't, they didn't expect those houses to last longer than 50 years anyway without major remodels. I don't know, any, other, any other thoughts that? Well, I don't live in an old, old home. I live in a 25-year-old yeah. home. Right. So I kind of have, unfortunately, the worst of both worlds <laughs> because I have things falling apart, but then you also have like honey oak cabinets that we painted, you know, so I get neither, but I think one of the things that really, um, do y'all see all the time on Instagram or is this just the AI speaking to me, the, um, the old cheap old houses, do y'all see the cheap old houses no. account on Instagram? It's a really popular account and it will show like, you can buy this home and this whatever town in Oklahoma for $59,000 and it's got the beautiful woodwork and everything, but the comments are really funny to read in it too. Cause it's like, that's in the scariest neighborhood. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, you know, uh, that those are popular too, because people in different parts of the country are seeing what you can buy for this old falling apart home. So that's another way they kind of glamorize it, but yeah, they're fun, but I've, I've done both. And yes, new homes all the way. If only all of our potential yeah. customers could know. <laughs> My only thing for older homes is, especially in the Bay area where I grew up was, um, the yard size. You don't really get that in new construction, at least in California, you don't get all, you get homes that are really close together and right. not really that privacy. Yep. And that makes total sense. And again, the high end of whatever era the home is built in, it 
just, just like, um, someone in the Facebook group said, you know, I've worked for a builder for over 20 years and I still love fixer uppers everywhere I've ever lived has been a fixer up house. And I think that that makes total sense because like with used cars or old, you know, historic cars, there's people who love to tinker, but I think because it is the minority of people who love to tinker with an old car that doesn't run very well. We all understand that that is a, for the love of the car, like you're, you're doing that, but it's not that the car old cars are better. Mm-hmm. And those old car people would argue with that, but I feel like it's just shifted where there's way more people, partly because of the experience that builders put people through understandably, or the expectations we set the majority of the population is like, you're building a house. Why? Like they don't make them like they used to old homes. You know what you're getting. Um, and all those things. I, I think the other thing that's really interesting. And I remember, um, reading a book about this almost 15 years ago is that in Japan, they don't really have used homes. The average Japanese home is demolished 30 years after it's built the realistic lifespan of typically cheap built structures. So 87% of Japanese home sales are new compared with 11 to 34% in the West. As a result, most Japanese households enjoy a new house or apartment with all the modern amenities and design innovation that entails, including ever improving earthquake standards. It's just culturally, they don't, they don't outside of um, uh, temples and the like, they don't, they don't try to preserve everything in the same way. They have a different viewpoint of it. Anyway, just a, just a little palate cleanser or something different uh, than we typically would talk about, but I thought it was a really well-written article and worth your time. All right. The last one is the fun one. Um, in from cnbc.com investors are paying millions for virtual land in the metaverse. And, um, someone that I'm hoping to have as a guest on the podcast soon actually has a program where they train, um, licensed agents, how to sell land in the metaverse as an agent. So we tee that up as something coming soon, but real estate and virtual world, sometimes called the metaverse is going for millions of dollars. Most expensive spots are near where lots of users congregate. For instance, someone recently paid $450,000 to be Snoop Dogg's neighbor in a virtual world called the sandbox. What do we think about this? Okay. So many questions. (laughs) So who is making all this money? Who is the sandbox? Like who owns that? And where is all that money going? And they don't have a product. I mean, they have no costs, right? Because it's explained. I mean, AWS and some code. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and a couple of engineers that don't live in Silicon Valley anymore, but somewhere else that they got to pay to keep the, the world living. Yeah. I think that's, that's maybe the first thing from a foundational standpoint is what is the metaverse? The idea of metaverse with a capital M is a way to connect all of these smaller universes where it's one cohesive experience, no matter what platform you're using, whether it's your phone an AR set of glasses, a VR headset, uh, a whole room dedicated like the hollow deck, whatever it is, you'd never have to leave and could seamlessly transition from one universe to another universe. But Roblox is a, is a universe um, a game that I uh, used to play in college, gosh, and I think it's still around, is um, called... Uh, the Sims? Uh, no, the well, one? yeah, I guess The Sims would be its own universe. Um, the uh, com- not Command and Conquer, gosh, uh, C- Counter-Strike. It's a, it's a cops versus robbers kind of game. Uh, that same program has existed now for, gosh, 25 plus years. And so video games is where this comes from because 
uh, I've never had an Xbox myself, but Xbox achievements, right? It's the ability of where you're getting some type of recognition award loot. I think this is the word the kids use, right? That in, in a game. And historically, those games live and die over the period of six months to two years. Uh, World of Warcraft would be another example of a, of a universe that is a persistent universe. The one that kids have been playing for the last three years, um, cartoony graphics, also a shooter. Can't think of the name of it. Gosh, it's everywhere. Fortnite. The ones that has the Fortnite. dances? Yes, Fortnite. There yes. you go. <laughs> um, Fortnite, again, persistent universe. So the idea is if we can create a metaverse where all of this, all these awards and loot and tokens and everything else we've, we've earned can never go away and remain relevant forever. Like imagine now there is this overarching metaverse where you can all come and hang out at my house, at my virtual home. And I say, oh yeah, look at that thing on my wall. That's the, that's when I, you know, headshotted two people from a hundred yards away in 2002 in Counter-Strike. Remember that? That was so cool. Now, now it makes all these things have inherently more value than they did if it was a game that people played for three months and then never touched again. So what people are trying to do on top of that is to say, well, let's create a persistent world that has a limited amount of space. And that's really where what crypto has reinvigorated everyone with in the digital world is saying, well, if we limit the amount, because there's an unlimited amount of digital, right? If, if I have mm -hmm. a, a picture of something that's a JPEG file, I can send it to all of my friends. I can make as many copies of it as I want. But if I can limit it in any way, now there's a potential of it having value or more value over time. So the sandbox is a persistent universe where you can hang out and interact with people and, and do things uh, similar to Roblox. That Unlike Roblox, they have a limited and finite amount of space. And so people like Snoop Dogg, big brands like Nike and Adidas are buying up this land. And as demand grows, prices grow. So it's all a bet on the future that this will be a persistent place that people want to hang out at. And those who really promote this stuff, which I am not, to be clear, is, well, okay, now the sandbox is just a universe that's too expensive for Kevin Oakley to buy land in. But that'll just force Kevin Oakley to go look at the second or third ring suburb to sandbox and go buy some inexpensive land there someday. And I'll, and I'll say to myself, man, I wish, I wish I would have got er in early at the sandbox and gotten my you know, pixels of land. I guess you say Do they measure virtual land by acres or um, blocks or pixels. I don't know. You're asking the wrong. <laughs> <laughs> That's our question to you, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, D digital real estate prices have gone up 400 to 500% in the last few months. This is one of the quotes here from uh, Andrew, the CEO of tokens.com. I did appreciate at the end, the expert they talked to was like, don't invest money in it that you're not willing to throw away, to lose. Yeah. <laughs> like it could make you money, but it's not, it's not grounded in reality. So nobody can know for sure. But here is the reality that it is grounded in for companies like Adidas and Nike and, and apparel brands is um, if this is a persistent digital world, people are already, or kids, hopefully mostly kids, but, but a lot of adults are spending significant amounts of money on these persistent worlds already, buying upgraded weapons or armor or fun, crazy costumes. They're, they're already spending this money. Mm -hmm. So then Adidas is saying, look, one, we can use this as a way to prototype sneakers 
and see which ones sell, which ones don't before we go and make them in the physical world, which ones are cool, what, what do the kids want? And we're going to make money off of it. And we don't have to pay for any of the marginal labor in, in Thailand or other places of the world. We just, again, our cost is zero. And if, if someone can make something in a virtual space that does become extremely popular, then again, supply demand, the, the, those virtual sneakers are going to go from being five cents a piece to 50. And that is, I mean, as crazy as it sounds, that's what there are places in the world that people are already doing that in specific games or universes. I mean, yeah. my, my kids right now, every, every job they want to do is not to be paid in real money. They just want paid in Robux. Yep. Okay. If I empty the dishwasher for a week, can I get 80 Robux dead? <laughs> it's like, mm -hmm. don't you want anything like here in this house, mm -hmm. this world? Eh, not really dead. <laughs> yep. I feel like I talk too much about that and you all think I'm crazy now, but. No, no, it's it very is. interesting. It's, it's very interesting. Like I'm interested to see um, where it's going to go. But like you said, it blows my mind that somebody like the tennis shoes that are no money don't cost anything for them to see so is just the whole concept that whoever created the sandbox like mm -hmm. it is just and that's why everyone <laughs> every, everyone who can figure out how is trying to make their own digital yeah. currency right like the dogecoin and and like if if you're the one who makes it and you can mm -hmm. create enough buzz around it where, where it takes off. Yeah. You, you are the main winner, whoever started that thing. But yeah. again, to go back to the brands, it makes sense for Adidas to, you know, let's, uh, okay, fine. Let's go buy some digital land for 2 million bucks. One, it gets us in the news as being an innovative forward thinking mm -hmm. company who's trying things out. It's a rounding error for us on how much money we make per hour. And on the upside, what if the only way you can get the digital copy of a sneaker is to buy the physical version and get a code to get the digital one. And everyone wants the digital one. And they think to themselves, well, I was going to only spend $100 on sneakers, but these are $200 and I get the digital copy of it to, to play in the game and be cool in front of my friends. There, there is more upside for brands right now in this than, than actual individuals, yeah. I think. I want to see a home builder make a virtual community in the metaverse. Okay, so you're saying I need to go make do you convert land in the sandbox. Yeah. So that's your challenge yeah. to me, Samantha? Yeah. Do it. And then right. sell homes. Challenge it. Challenge accepted. <laughs> sell, sell metal. No, no, homes. I'm going to this this is how people are doing this. Again, it's crazy, but I'll I'm going to buy do you convert land on the outskirt on the very outskirt of town and and then I will host uh seminars there teaching other people in the sandbox, how to market their properties. Cause that's what you do. You like do the same thing you do in the real world in there. And somehow, you know, yeah. everyone makes billions. I'm just kidding. They, they lose money right now <laughs> more often than not. All right. I think that'll do it for this week for published articles, blog posts, videos, and more check out doyouconvert.com. It's also the best way to find out how to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, the metaverse, and everywhere else we are online. <laughs> Also, a little tease, we are going to have Spencer Raskoff on a future episode of the podcast. 
And similar to Ivy Zellman, we want to give you guys the chance to ask him questions. This is the co-founder of Zillow. He's been involved in lots of other startups. He has an incubator company, a publishing company, and he's agreed to come on the podcast early in February. So get into the Facebook group or the LinkedIn group and, and ask your questions and we'll prioritize those and, and get in as many as we can. All right, everyone. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.